Okay, welcome to the podcast. Today we have Judge Alm to talk about the COVID-19 pandemic and how it's affecting the court. How's it going, Mr. Alm? It's going well, uh, as well as can be expected, given all of the, all of the uh, challenges we're all facing these days. Yeah, totally, Judge Alm. So, um, I'm sorry I misspoke earlier. It is Judge Alm, but... Um, retired, yeah. retired now, but thank you. Retired Judge Om, yeah. And on a separate on a separate note, I always get mixed up on the specific title. I'm like, how do you address people? How do you address associate justices, chief justices? I always get mixed up, so my apologies on that. Right. Oh, no problem. And actually, it's the Supreme Court of the Justices. Everybody else, including the Intermediate Court of Appeals, are judges. Thank you for the clarification. So my first question for you is... Uh, we just got an update from the judiciary, basically a COVID-19 update where a, I'm sorry, a special master has been appointed to review all the cases. Just to give our listeners um, the background, the public defender's office issued a petition to the court to release 426 inmates because they were at risk of catching COVID-19 due to the conditions at OCCC, HCCC, just any prison in general. Uh, because of the close proximity of all the inmates, they are at an elevated, um, an elevated risk to get COVID-19. Although at this point, there are no recorded cases at either of the uh, prisons on any of the islands. So did you get a chance to review the document and what were your initial thoughts? Oh, I've taken a quick look at it because as you say, this is uh, breaking as we speak. Uh, I, th I think it's a good idea. I think the, uh, the public defenders have concerns, uh, as everybody does, when a lot of people are closely confined. Uh, at the same time, the prosecutors, the attorney general, have concerns about protecting public safety. Uh, mm -hmm. And one thing, just so we're, we're all on the same page with our listeners, uh, jail is OCCC, pretrial detention and... Uh, people serving time for violations of conditions of probation. Prison is multiple-year sentences, at least a year, but typically multiple-year sentences at Halava or Saguaro, uh, Arizona. Yeah, very good. Thanks for adding that for clarification. And um, I think it's also important because it's kind of misleading. I read the headline in the paper, and I was like, 426 people, man, that's like a huge release. What? What's actually happening is it's a total of 426 um, and specific to Oahu. Let me check my notes. There's 126 or 37, somewhere on about that order. So we're looking at a roughly approximately 130 inmates that are just petitioning to get released. It's not like a huge deluge of 400 something people all out on the streets, especially during a time when we have, you know, our economy is basically shut down. We're on lockdown as we speak. Yeah, so I think when the when the public defenders uh, filed their petition, they wanted all of those folks released and released by certain categories. The attorney general and uh, the prosecutors were saying, uh, "Let's let's hold off on that, go a little slower, and let's review it on a case by case basis to see who can get released." Uh, that will not endanger the community. And certainly there are some people that are going to fit into that. But I think what they were asking for is three main things. It should be a case-by-case -case review. 
so they can check out dangerousness. Second, do the people getting released, say from OCCC, do they have a place to go to? Can they live with family? Or had, did they have an apartment that they were living in before they ended up in jail? And finally, uh, how will they be monitored if they are released? I think those are the three three things uh, the Attorney General's office uh, wanted to have in place. And then so there were discussions back and forth between the Attorney General's office the prosecutors and the original petitioners, which were the state attorney generals, I mean, uh, state public defenders. Ah, yes. So that kind of leads into um, the next question. On Stolen Stuff Away, a lot of people are concerned about, you know, they might not be classified as violent crimes. They usually are seen as nonviolent crimes. However, they are property crimes. You got, you know, your burglaries, um, your break-ins, your, uh, your thefts. Um, and I think a lot of people, especially on that forum, are concerned about people being released with our economy literally being locked down and they being the victims as opposed to, you know, people that usually are locked up or a lot of times because there's just more people on the island, we'll have a few hundred thousand tourists on the island. This is like specific to local people who might be at danger of being victimized again if people are released. Um, what would you, as the current city prosecutor, sort of comment on to not have people think, oh man, they're just gonna release a bunch of people and now I'm gonna have to like really like have that, that sort of fear of being a victim? Well, in order to have somebody released from here, there's gonna have to be uh, a process that is undergone, and I completely understand people's concerns, which is, I think, what was shared with the Attorney General's and the Prosecutor's Office. That's why they are insisting on a case-by-case -case, uh, review to see who are we talking about. Is, is the person uh, being held in custody pending a trial on a residential burglary or, or multiple residential burglaries? Because that means uh, there has already been a probable cause finding that uh, that person was uh, re responsible for residential burglary, and people would be concerned with that. In addition, do they have any prior convictions? Uh, the, often the best predictor of future behavior is past and current behavior. Do they have a history of running away from court, of contempt uh, cases? And so I think the, the public should be reassured that while there is a, a concern about too many people being held together closely. I think the attorney general and the prosecutors are rightly concerned. Let's take a look at each of these individual people. I think there will be some that people can agree should be released. But for many others, the prosecutor's office, the AGs, they will be objecting to the release of a number of those folks. Yeah, I do agree with you that to review things on a case-by-case -case basis really is the way to go. And I was talking to several attorneys earlier this morning uh, to prepare for this interview with you. And also, you know, we just talk about the current state of affairs. And right now, there are people who get arrested and the arrests are reduced. I just reviewed the HPD arrest logs over the last uh, few days. They're reduced at least in half. I saw like the amount of pages and amount of arrests on the new HPD arrest logs. Um, it's definitely cut. And they're having arraignments 
at HPD, so a judge, I guess, commutes over to HPD and they arraign people there and most of the courts are actually closed. So I was just thinking, and what some of the other attorneys had brought up to me, I was like, man, they basically got a bunch of empty courtrooms and we're in an age where a lot of attorneys are putting in motions, they're e-filing, they're doing teleconferences, um, video conferences always on the table um, as well. I feel as though now's the time if they really wanna go case by case, now's the time when there's a lot of extra time that they could be doing things via teleconference, right? Well, I think they are going to do, uh, you know, th those are continuing. I think the judges uh, are on a, you know, a schedule down in circuit court where they're going in some of the time, working from home at other times, but they have always had the capacity and they haven't, uh, to a degree, done telephone conferences. I think, as you point out, this is a perfect time to do even more of them because if somebody is sitting at OCCC waiting for trial and uh, he or she decides to uh, change their plea to guilty and they can work out a deal with the prosecutor's office, uh, they should be able to do that. Uh, judge Kawamura is the admin judge, and she's got a courtroom with video, and for years they've done conferencing with, uh, to do arraignment of pleas so people don't have to be transferred down to the courthouse. I think that is just going to continue, and judges will be uh, taking their turns in that courtroom so they can have access to folks down at OCCC in order to conduct certain hearings. Yeah, absolutely. And then you can kind of have that best of both worlds. Um, it is going to shock the public if a mass amount of people get out that way. But if it is done by a case-by-case -case basis and, you know, judges are able to make their thorough review, I think that's a great way moving forward. And I think people uh, may not think of it originally that yes uh a case may be a misdemeanor but some cases some misdemeanors are serious uh assaults are serious domestic violence comes to mind uh somebody could have beaten up his wife or girlfriend uh, allegedly uh and mm -hmm. threatened to kill her that could be two misdemeanor charges well I would fully expect the prosecutors to be objecting to that person's release particularly given our stay-at-home orders that that person would end up back in the same household where all of this happened and where tensions might be even higher um, because of the stay-at-home uh, orders that are in effect now so uh, or a person could you know be very violent very dangerous they happen to be picked up for a misdemeanor this time uh, th that's not going to be the case in all the cases, but there will be some cases like that, which I think why a case-by-case -case review is so critical and why it's something the attorney general and the prosecutors have really, ins you know, are insisting on just to make sure they can get, you know, right things done that way. Yeah, absolutely. That is the way to do it. Because honestly, the people who are in custody, they get charged on a case-by-case -case basis. They are sentenced on a case-by-case -case basis. It, it only makes logical it's like the consistent thing to do to go ahead and release or consider their release on that same case-to-case -case basis. Absolutely. That's exactly right. And the, and the public defenders would be the first one to say, you know, each case is different. Each person is different. We have to look at the facts and circumstances of each case. Nothing should be done in a blanket way. And in, in reviewing the Supreme Court's order that just came out today, it does say at this time, this court declines to enter a blanket order releasing large number 
uh, numbers of inmates, rather to address competing public health and safety concerns and ensure that social distancing measures are being or can be effectuated within the state's jails and prisons, the staff and the public, a collaborative effort should first be undertaken. So uh, I think they're optimists, too, about the fact that we have solved other really difficult problems in the past in this state. When people come together uh, and can work through certain things, it may not be perfect for uh, for everybody, but often we can come up with good, logical, common-sense solutions to challenges, and I think that's what they're looking at happening here. Yes, absolutely, and there is an importance, especially with our elected officials, to display like a high level of leadership abilities, leadership qualities, especially when we're going through um, an emergency. Um, Given that we are right in the middle of a pandemic and we are currently locked down, obeying social distancing, what do you think the role of the city prosecutor is? And specific to you, shall you get elected, what would be sort of like your best practices as a prosecuting attorney during these times of like, you know, an emergency? Well, I think part of it is... Uh in that office, you have a bully pulpit. So the public is going to expect to hear from you where you stand on things, how how you're going to address this issue, what the prosecutor's office role would be in this, so people can be as educated as possible. And I've always thought that was the you know my role when I was the United States Attorney, uh, and it would be the same thing when I if I. I'm fortunate enough to be elected as city prosecutor. And the second thing is working with the other agencies, trying to come up with novel solutions, trying to come up with um, with ways to deal with a crisis. And, and there was a great article in Civil Beat this morning that talked about using hotel rooms as a possible way uh, to mitigate the the, the problem with our with our shelters for homeless people being overwhelmed. The Institute for Human Services stopped uh, screening to take people in there uh, as of Tuesday, two days ago, just because it's so crowded. They're trying to reduce the numbers in there so you can have social distancing. Well, the spokesperson for the hotel association said they are in favor of that, hoping, I think, to get a few of their employees back at work. But that's an area that I think the... Um, you know, that the government and private enterprise can work together and maybe find a place for homeless people to stay uh, d during this crisis. And yet there's still going to have to be some monitoring and supervision. But when people come together and work together, you, you can get a lot of good things done. Absolutely. That's the spirit. Definitely the spirit that we want to have moving forward. So um, what also made the news is, um, HPD announced on KHON2 that they have now enhanced charging capabilities. So things that, you know, were like burglaries, you know, thefts, what was traditionally a class, um, I'm sorry, a misdemeanor can be upgraded. And now the penalties are that of um, a felony. And in some cases, as high as a B felony. Um, I think the purpose of that type of thing, uh, what matters more is, certainty of apprehension uh -huh. and get, getting things done uh, right away. And I think part of the purpose of that is uh, deterrence. Uh, you, you know, you're trying to stop people from doing it. We're not 
The whole purpose of this isn't to send people, you know, to prison for long periods of time. The purpose is to have them not break the law to begin with. So I think if the Big Island police are talking about that, they're trying to get it out. You've heard of things, you know, I, I think the uh, Chief Ballard is showing great leadership in this by saying they they have their people out there giving warnings to people. They do make mm-hmm. an arrest. It sounds like the arrests are made when they've warned somebody and they disregard it uh, and mm-hmm. continue doing what they're not supposed to be doing or uh, they're in violation or they get arrested for something else and then they add that on as a charge you know, disregarding the proclamation about staying at home or just going to essential services. So I think the whole point of discussing, you know, any increased penalties is as a deterrent to get the word out there. Now is not the time to break the law. Ah, absolutely. So um, it was a little troubling because I I didn't even know that such powers were possible. You know what I mean? I thought we had, like, by statute what you could be charged with. So... How, how did that change? How did those powers get expanded? Well, you know, uh, in my uh, lo- looking at this, in 2014, uh, they, they had a classification of certain types of crimes are elevated during the state of emergency. And as you noted, the case of story was a big island uh, major who talked about this. I don't think this is, I'm not aware of that actually uh, ever being used in court uh, or somebody charged under it. I, so we'll, we'll have to, we'd have to take a really closer look at that. Because like you said, things like this are, are subject to constitutional uh, limitations. Uh, it, it's something that would have to get a, a real close look. But I think law enforcement's point on this is to try to deter people from uh, breaking the law to begin with. It's good that they got like that public safety standard in mind because I'm gonna just interject what my opinion was. I was like, man, we got the public defender's office trying to get a bunch of people released in mass. We have the police trying to be like, wait a minute, if you just release these people and then they start committing a bunch of crimes, we're the ones who have to clean up the mess and then rearrest the people who should be in custody anyway. And then you have the prosecutor's office saying, wait, 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 wait not so fast. You can't just have a blanket of 400 plus people just get released. Um, That would just be too taxing on um, the public services that they might have to actually need. It seems like we have all these different varying angles and I don't think it adds to like as a regular citizen. It doesn't make me feel more safe. Like there's like there's more order um, (laughs) with all these different uh, different factors involved. what would you say to me? I'm a voter. Uh, you're running for city prosecutor. What could you say to help calm when I see all these things in the paper and all these different, you know, conflicting agencies saying one thing and then combating each other with a different thing? Well, I think that's why the American system works well, that we have checks and balances and you have people on different sides of it. And I think what the Supreme Court is saying is let's put somebody in charge as the master to try to work with both sides. And Judge Foley is a a very smart guy. He's been involved with the prison system. He has been legal director of the ACLU. Uh, He he knows the system very well. He knows all the players in there. So I think he's trusted by both sides because I think they both have to agree 
to who would be appointed for this. And I think the idea, and he also works as a mediator. And so that's going to be mm -hmm. a part of this role, would be to try to work with both sides and see if we can get an agreement on some people to get released. And as you pointed out, other ones, there should, you know, maybe subject to a hearing and a motion, and then uh, the court will rule one way or another. One of the concerns I do have is with a blanket release is you don't know where people are going to stay. And if we're mm -hmm. sending them out there to be homeless, that creates its own problem, which is, you know, we're all dealing with right now. I, uh, you know, the fact that somebody doesn't have a place to live and could be homeless with other people out in the street, that's just transferring a problem from one place to another. And a second part of it is, a number of people are in jail because they, frankly, have a hard time following the, the law and rules. And so it's a little hard to think that all of a sudden, magically, they're going to be responsible about following the rules about staying at home, even if they do have a home to go to, and following social guidelines, whether that means staying six feet away from people. Pretty soon, they're going to want everybody to wear a mask. I think that's just mm -hmm. happening right now. And so I think the people can be reassured that the attorney general's office, the different prosecutors' offices, are concerned about a blanket release of any anybody, which is why it should be a case by case uh, decision. Well, thank you very much for that. Um, I know your time is very valuable. I'm very grateful for the opportunity to have interviewed you on this telephone podcast. Is there any sort of closing comments you'd like to add when it comes specific to COVID-19? Well, I, I would just, two things. One, I think we all owe a real debt of gratitude to all of the health care professionals who are putting their health on the line to help the rest of us. And that means the nurses, that means the doctors, that means the orderlies at all the emergency rooms, at the testing centers, you know, but people are stepping up to do it. And, and I think most people in Hawaii are taking this really seriously. They're trying to follow the rules. Everyone, which is why when they're not, HPD is issuing a lot of warnings mm -hmm. and hopefully get people to understand that. But here's where peer pressure can come in, too. People can make sure that people in their family follow through with this. But I, I'm always uh, upbeat about the idea that when we get people together, and they're working together on, a, on solutions to our problems. When you work together, you don't have agendas except to get the job done. We can accomplish almost ever, anything if we work together. Ah, yes, that's the spirit. So if uh, people want to go ahead and find out more information about you, how could they go ahead and look you up? Do you have anything on the Internet or any other uh, resources on uh, social media? I do. Uh, uh, as a judge, prosecutor judge, I really had stayed away from social media because privacy, you know, and safety were, were paramount. But now that I'm running for office, we do have a campaign website at steveomforprosecutor.com, as well as I'm on Facebook. Uh, and we, we have things on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, talking about things I believe in and what I hope to do if I get elected. Ah, very good. Thank you very much once again, and stay safe out there. Good to talk to you. See you later, Nick.